So we are continuing the series that we started a couple weeks ago uh, as we are working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And again, we are going to conclude this series as we're studying these, um, these kind of highlights and miracles of Jesus. Um, and obviously we're not covering every story, uh, every, every interaction that, that happens in the Gospel of Mark. Um, we're not going to cover all of it, but yet we are following along with the disciples as they're, as they're learning and growing and, and, and figuring out exactly who Jesus is and what his plan is and, and, and how it all plays out and even why God chose them. And as we started off uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw that, that, uh, that Mark, again, was not a disciple. They, that he's one of, the, one of the two gospel writers that was not a disciple that had this one-on-one and our first-hand experiences with Jesus. But yet Mark was a close associate of Peter, right, who was, of course, a disciple and, and kind of the most boisterous, loud disciple out of all of the 12. And, and he oftentimes is, uh, you know, inserted himself into these stories. And, and again, Mark um, was, was working with, with Peter after the ascension and, and expanding the church. And again, Mark heard these stories firsthand from Peter and all these interactions with Jesus. And he was the first one to write this, these stories down. Okay? And he was working with Peter um, in, in the, the context of Rome. And, he, and the, the, audience, the original audience of this gospel okay, were, were Gentiles, right? They were living in this Roman empire. And to them, right, again, they did not fully understand all the Jewish customs and all those different things that, they, that Jesus lived up and, and lived into with all the disciples. But, but also they were in this environment where the ruler of the time, King Nero, at that time in Rome, was a ruthless leader. In fact, he uh, believed that he himself was a god, right? And he, and he demanded that all of his subjects worship him as a god. And, and yet, right, as obviously that is counterproductive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so um, Mark, along with Peter and the first century church, they drew a line in the sand, right? And established that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the only true son of God, right? And this is, this is exactly how he starts out his gospel in Mark chapter one, verse one, the very first verse of the gospel. He says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Again, he establishes here, right, that Jesus is the son of the one true God and he has the authority in our lives. And by this statement, again, they're implying, right, that Nero is not the ultimate authority, that Nero is not a God, right? And because of that, they are inviting all kinds of persecution and struggle into their lives by making this statement. But yet this is, again, the opening sentence of the gospel as they draw a line in the sand and say that Jesus is our authority. And he is the only one worthy of our worship. And with that starts then the theme of Mark's gospel, right, which we've been following along with as we've worked our way through these stories, right, which is who or what do you give authority to in your life? And we see again this question that, that is answered by Mark throughout the gospel as he draws this line of sand from the very first sentence saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that God is the one that is, that is worthy of our worship and is the ultimate authority in our life. And if that is true, then everything else will fall into line. And as they make this again, we have seen 
how Jesus invited these disciples, right, to follow him. And we've seen all these different reactions that people had to Jesus and, and to, to the, the miracles and the stories and, and, and even the confrontations that he has with the religious leaders of the time. And we've been walking with the disciples because they did not even fully understand who Jesus was or even what it meant to follow him when they received that invitation and decided to follow him. And as they do, we've watched as their faith has grown and they learn more and more about who Jesus is and how to truly worship and live a life of following Christ. And so with that, as we continue to, to, to look at this and to dive into these experiences and these lessons um, with the disciples, I want to uh, start today by reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. So if you have your own Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 8. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have one with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets in front of you that you're welcome to use. Again, you'll notice on the outline or the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Uh, so we're going to open up and read, uh, starting off today in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, where it says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now I want to pause there and just to say, again, Jesus, as he's walking along, as he's traveling with his disciples, he presents this, this question to them amidst their travel. Right? And this question seems kind of a silly question. I mean, Jesus asked them, hey, who does everybody say I am? What does everybody think about me? Tell me, what is my public reputation? Right, come on, guys, lay it on me. Tell me the truth. What, what does everybody say? Right, and, and, and Jesus asked them this, this kind of silly question. It almost seems like that Jesus is kind of testing his own popularity meter. Right, he's kind of sitting back. Like in, in our modern-day context, this, context, this is like him saying like, hey, guys, how many, how many Twitter followers do I have? Right? How many plays do I have on my YouTube channel? Right? I need you guys to tell me, am I building my brand well? Right? And Jesus kind of asked this of the disciples. Okay? And then, um, again, we see right, as, as that Jesus tells us, though, his motivation in verse 30. That's not his motivation. He's not worried about his popularity. He's not worried about his brand. Right? That is not his intention. In fact, he tells them in verse 30, like, hey, by the way, don't tell everybody the truth about who I am. Because if they knew that, right, is that his follower count would go up drastically really fast. Right? And Jesus doesn't want that. That's not his motivation. But yet, um, this question does reveal two things to us. Okay, number one is it does reveal to us that most people didn't really know what to do with Jesus. Right? They had no idea how to react to Jesus or what to do with him. Right? They, they, they'd heard his teachings. They'd seen the miracles. They, they, they saw the healings. They experienced the, the, the demons obeying him. They, they've seen all these things. They even watched the, the interactions between him and the religious leaders and, and those confrontations. And, and they know there's something different about Jesus, but they have no idea how to handle him or how to define him. Right, just as they said, just as the disciples told them, they're like, well, you know, some people say this, some people say that. Like, like nobody really knows. Right? They know there's something different about Jesus, 
but they have no good explanation about Jesus. And yet, this opinion, this, this same fact is still true today. Right? There are so many opinions about who Jesus is in our world and in our culture. Right? And they're all over the board. Some people think he's this, some people think he's that. But all over these things, for some people, all he is is just a name that you yell when you get really mad and frustrated. Right? But the opinion of Jesus, of who he is and how you handle him, is all over the board in our world today, just like it was then. Nobody really knew how to handle Jesus. And yet, the other thing it tells us, that it reveals to us, is the fact that the, 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 the disciples faith is growing. Again, this silly question he presents to them was really a setup of what Jesus really wanted to know. Again, he, he, I don't think he cared at all about what his worldly reputation was, but this was a setup to be able to ask the disciples, who do you say that I am? Because right? he wanted to know their honest answer. And yet, as he gives them this answer, Right, then um, we see one of the most emphatic statements in the entire gospel about Jesus' authority. Okay, Peter again speaks for the disciples okay, in verse 29 where he says, right, when, then when Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? And then Peter replied, you are the Messiah. This clear, emphatic statement about Jesus' deity right, and his mission and his identity, and, and everything is wrapped up into this emphatic statement that Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the Messiah. Right? And we see this emphatic statement. Again, this is the most emphatic statement in the entire gospel outside of the very first verse. Again, Mark 1.1, which you saw, right? It says he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Right? He is the, the point of the good news. And then here we are all the way into chapter 8, and this is the most emphatic statement other than verse 1 about Jesus' identity and his authority. And in fact, we do not see a stronger statement about Jesus' identity for the rest of the gospel. In fact, most of this gospel hinges on this statement. And it's actually right in the center of the gospel. And as, as Peter makes this emphatic statement about Jesus and, and declares that Jesus has the ultimate authority, but yet, how does this show Jesus that their faith is growing? Right? How does it show Jesus? That's, I mean, that's what he really wanted to know. Right? Are you guys learning anything? Are you picking up on any of this? Does any of this make sense to you? Right? And yet he gives them this, this answer, this emphatic statement. But yet it raises this question for us. Okay, how is faith and authority connected? Because they give Jesus the ultimate authority through this statement, but, but yet, how does it show Jesus that their faith is growing? Okay, to help us answer this question today, okay, we're going to look at um, the story that happens in the middle of Mark chapter 9. Okay, so we're going to read the story, again, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So I invite you to, to flip, flip over a page or so as we find uh, this story. Now, to kind of set the context of this, Okay, is right after Peter makes this emphatic statement, right following this, then Jesus tells them the whole plan. He tells them, he's like, hey, by the way, guys, in order for me to, to fulfill my job as a Messiah, I'm going to have to die okay, on a cross. I'm going to be raised again on the third day, like all this happens. And then Peter actually, just a few verses after this most emphatic statement, 
calls out Jesus and says, Jesus, you, you shouldn't do that. And then Jesus literally calls him Satan. Just a few verses after this most emphatic statement of the entire gospel. Right? And then after this experience, as Peter kind of gets put in his place by Jesus, then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up a mountain. Okay, and up on top of this mountain is where the transfiguration happens. Right? And so we see Peter swinging into these huge extremes. And he makes this huge statement. Then he's be called Satan by Jesus. And then Jesus takes him up to the mountain, and he witnesses the transfiguration. And now while they are gone, while Jesus and these three disciples are up on the mountain, this story takes place. And that's where we're going to jump in here with the rest of the disciples, the ones that are left behind that are not up on the mountain experiencing the transfiguration. Okay, Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14, where it says, When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of the child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. And now as we see this, again, this interaction, this, this story of this, this, this father with this possessed boy that, that, is, that he needs Jesus' help. I mean, he shows up, right, um, you know, with, uh, with his son. Okay, and, and then, and Jesus isn't there. I mean, Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And as we look at this story, there are two main focuses of this story. Okay, there are the disciples, okay, and the argument that they were in. Okay, they're, they're one focus of the story and then they also, this man with his demon-possessed son. Okay, now both of these people are going to help us answer this question of how faith and authority are connected. Okay, we've got two different angles here. Okay, first off, though, is we understand that this whole situation is about faith, because Jesus tells us it's about faith. 
right? He talks about the faith of the father. He talks about the faith of the disciples, right? And of the religious leaders. Jesus makes this whole situation about faith. So again, how is faith and authority connected? Well, at first we're going to look at the disciples. Let's look at this side of the story first. Okay, because with their experience, okay, and their interaction here with the religious leaders and with this evil spirit and with Jesus, we learn from them, okay, that the opposite of faith is not failure. The opposite of faith is not failure. So many times we feel like if we fail, right, it's the opposite of faith, right? It's moving us further away from faith. Okay, but notice, again, obviously the disciples here fail. Okay, we see in verses 18 and 19, it tells us that. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Right, so Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Again, here Jesus makes it about faith. Right, and he, and he points this out after the disciples fail to cast out this spirit, to heal this boy. Right, but the opposite of faith is not failure. Okay, their failure was the result of their lack of faith, not the other way around. When we first read this, it, it makes it sound like Jesus is telling them, hey, you guys failed, so therefore you have no faith. That's not what Jesus is saying. Right, Jesus is saying the reason you failed is because of your lack of faith. The lack of faith was first. Again, how do we get to that, to that conclusion? Well, let, let's walk our way through this this situation, and, and I'll, I'll explain to you how we get to that conclusion. Okay, first off is, again, the, these disciples, okay, they have been in this situation before. Okay, back in Mark chapter 6, okay, they're walking with Jesus. Jesus is teaching them all of these lessons. Okay, and Jesus, get, he takes his disciples to, to this town, okay, and Jesus literally gives them a mission, sends them out, he pairs them off, and sends them off with a mission. Their mission is to to share the good news of the gospel, okay, to, to heal people and to cast out demons. Okay, and Jesus anoints them with this mission and sends them out in Mark chapter 6. Okay, and then they go out and they are successful in this mission. In Mark chapter 6, they come back to Jesus and he's like, well, how'd it go? And they're like, it's, it's, it's crazy. It worked. We were able to, to share the good news of, of the Messiah. We were able to heal people. We were able to cast out demons. It was awesome. Okay, and now fast forward to Mark chapter 9. Okay, these same disciples who were, who were successful in chapter 6, right, then this, this father shows up with this demon-possessed boy, right, and he's looking for Jesus. He says, I need Jesus to heal him. You know, and, and again, the disciples look around, they're like, well, Jesus is not here. Okay, Jesus and three disciples are up on the mountain. But then they look around, they're like, Jesus isn't here, but hey, we can do this. We, we can handle this situation. We got this. Right? And they're like, we'll just step in. We'll, we'll take care of it. Right? So they step into it, and again, they fail. I mean, that's exactly what the, the father says. He's like, we brought him. I brought my boy to the disciples, and they said they could do it, but they couldn't do it. They failed. Right? And there's the difference between Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 6, they were anointed by Jesus. They were sent out with his power, and by his power, they they cast out demons, they healed people, and they were successful. And now in this moment, they get there, they were not focused on God at all. Right? They were saying that, they're like, I can do this. I can do this. I don't need Jesus. I can do it myself. 
right? And that was their lack of faith because their faith was in themselves. It wasn't in Jesus and his power. And again, they lost focus on why they were successful before. The difference between Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 9 was that they were using God's power or their own power, and that was the difference. Again, Jesus and the three disciples were up on the mountain experiencing the transfiguration, but this father shows up asking for healing. And these, these remaining disciples were like, we can do this. We got it. And they failed. Again, I can identify with the disciples in this moment. And I'll, I'll bet you can too. Right? There have been times, again, in my life, when I've gone into a situation or a task expecting God's blessing and ex expecting his power. Right? And I walk into this situation and I, I, I take it on only to fail. And God doesn't show up. Right? And yet, then through that experience, I realized that I was never really focused on God at all. But I was relying on my own ability to pull it off by my own power. And it fails. And yet, in those times, in those failures, at the time that my, some of the times my faith has grown the most. Because the truth is we learn more through failure than we do through success oftentimes. Right? And as, as we can identify with the disciples in this situation, we understand those, those are tough lessons. Those are not easy things, but yet it's when our faith grows the most. Right? It's when I fall short and when it refocuses me back where my faith is supposed to be, which is in God. Right? Those are tough times, but yet my faith grows the most. And again, if failure was the opposite of faith, then faith could not grow as much through failure. And yet the times my faith has grown the most is when I have fallen flat on my face in failure. Right? If, if it was the opposite of faith, then, my, then your faith could not grow through failure. Right? The opposite of faith is not failure. Now the other thing that's worth pointing out here in this situation with the disciples is the fact that an argument broke out with the religious leaders after their failure. Again, these religious leaders and Pharisees, they had nothing to do with this situation. Right? They, they were just in the crowd. They had nothing to do with the situation until they saw the opportunity to point out the disciples' failures. Again, and now think about it. These were the religious leaders at the time. They should have been able to heal this son too. And notice his son had not been healed because they couldn't do it themselves. But notice, that's not what they point out in this argument. They just, they just pounce on the disciples as soon as they fail. Right? They had no role in this other than the fact that they didn't, they didn't intercede in the way they should have. Right? They failed as much as the disciples, but yet they were just there to point the finger and to stir up trouble. Right? And that's exactly what they did. And then Jesus comes down from the mountain and inserts himself into this situation. Right? And he sees this, and he kind of shows up. He's like, guys, what? What on earth is going on? Why all of this drama? What's with the argument? Right? And in fact, when we even see Jesus' response in 19, and I don't know if it kind of stirred you a little bit, but when I read that Jesus' response in verse 19, it kind of makes me go like, is that really Jesus saying that? Because that sounds like a pretty sarcastic comment. You faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? 
Right? And this statement is directed towards the disciples and, and towards this whole argument and this drama. Right? And yet I think this, this, this comment by Jesus, I think, truly shows us the heart of who God is. Again, it was, I, don't, I don't believe this was in a sarcastic tone at all. I think this was Jesus just stating how much this whole situation of not just the disciples' failure, but also just the religious leaders poking and, and causing trouble and stirring up drama, how much all of this just breaks his heart. Right, and reminds Jesus, this is why I came, was because all of this is not good. And it reminded Jesus that that is why we needed the Messiah in the first place, was so that he could redeem all of this, these horrible attitudes. Right, and as we see this, again, we see the disciples and see how, again, the opposite of faith is not failure. And next we have the Father. And so not only do we have disciples, but then we have, again, the, the father and his perspective. Because, again, this father brings his son to be healed by Jesus. And yet through this experience, he ends up in this exchange with Jesus, right, where we see some, just some really raw conversation between the father and Jesus. Okay, but again, what do we learn from the father? Well, we learn from the disciples the opposite of faith is not fear. We learn from the father that the opposite of faith is not doubt. Okay, the opposite of faith is not doubt. So many times if we have a doubt or a question, we feel like it will just, it, it, it's the opposite of faith. It's, it's going to destroy our faith. There's no coming back from that. And we learn from the Father that is not true. Again, Jesus asked the Father for some more details about his son. Right? And during this exchange between Jesus and this Father, Jesus makes another very interesting statement in verse 23. Okay, in verse 23, Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Again, it kind of sounds like another potentially sarcastic statement by Jesus. Right? But then he says, but then again, his conclusion, right? He's like, well, of course I can. Anything is possible if a person believes. Right? And this is where Jesus makes it about this, the Father's faith. Right? He's like, hey, if you believe, if you have faith, then of course I can heal your son. Right, and Jesus makes this statement right, to him in verse 23, and then we see one of the most honest and raw statements in all of Scripture in verse 24 by this father. I guess it is one of the most honest and raw statements in all of Scripture. Right? As this father tells Jesus in 24, it says, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Again, this is a time where he literally just, I mean, all of the thoughts and emotions and doubts and questions and everything that's stirring in this, this man's heart and head just plop out in front of Jesus in this statement. Right? He just says, man, all you got to do is believe in me, and of course I can hear your son. And then he says, I do believe in you, Jesus. But I have so many questions, and I have so many doubts, and I just don't even know if, if my belief is, is real or, or, or understated, or what's going on. Help me overcome my unbelief. Right? And again, as we think about this, I think we can all identify with the Father in this moment. Right? Because he, again, he believes in Jesus. Right? I mean, he brought his son to him. He believed that Jesus could heal him. And yet, through this whole situation with the failure of the disciples, and the arguments, and the drama, and everything that led up to this moment, his faith has been shaken. 
right? And he says, Jesus, I do believe in you, but yet there's this so big part of me and all these doubts and questions that I'm just not sure anymore. Right? And yet we can learn so much from this father because we should be able to do exactly the same thing that he does to actually be honest with Jesus. Again, this is one of the most raw, honest statements in all of Scripture. I believe in you, God, right now, but I have so many unanswered questions. There is so much that doesn't make sense. Help me overcome my unbelief. Can we be honest with God in the midst of a doubt? Can we simply cry out to God and tell him the truth about how we really feel? Because that's exactly what this father does. Because if we can, then God will answer. And he will show us the truth and the answers to our questions and show us the truth about our doubt. Because you know what? God is truth. That's in his character. And truth has nothing to hide. God is not afraid of your questions and God is not afraid of your doubts. God can handle them. He's God. And again, this idea, we put up this false front thinking that we're fooling God if we don't be honest with him and ask our questions. God's like, I already know where your heart is. Just be honest with me so I can answer it, and I can show you. Right? And as this father pours out his heart at the feet of Jesus, right, then God answers, and he heals his son. Again, we need to see doubts and questions as a growth step in our faith, not as a faith-ending issue. Doubts and questions are a growth step if we will let it be. If we can be honest and cry out to God like this father did, it will help your faith grow. And again, if it helps your faith grow, it cannot be the opposite of faith. Right, so we see the opposite of faith is not failure. The opposite of faith is not doubt. So how does this help us answer our original question of how faith and authority is connected? Okay, here's, here it is. This is what you came for. Okay, here's the answer. Are you ready? Faith is strengthened when true authority is recognized. Faith is strengthened when true authority is recognized. And that's how our faith and authority are connected. Again, we see this answer come out in both of these angles. First off, from the fathers, we see again into this, this situation, right? What does the father say? Again, in verses 22 and 23. He says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. Again, and then Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Again, Jesus is telling, hey, just recognize, go back to your original thought. Give me the authority that I deserve, and I can heal, heal your son, because I can do anything. If you recognize the true, true authority and where it belongs is with God, then anything is possible. Right? And that was the key for his son being healed, right? It was releasing God's power, was recognizing the true authority was with God. Okay, we also see this answer play out with the disciples. Okay, in these, these final verses of this story, the conclusion of this whole story, in verses 28 and 29, okay, when it says, afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out an evil spirit? 
Right? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Again, they're sitting down there. Now they're being honest with, with Jesus, right? They, they come, they, they saw the example of the Father. They're like, hey, he was honest, right? Jesus healed him. Let's be honest with Jesus. They sit down with Jesus in his house. They're like, Jesus, we don't get it. Why were we successful in Mark 6 and now we can't do it here? Why not? And Jesus says, well, because because you skipped a step, right? You can only cast out demons by my, using my power, not yours, right? Because what does prayer actually do for us, right? When we pray, it refocuses our heart from wherever it was when we sit down to pray back on the real authority who is God, right? We take our requests, we take our praise, we take our words, anything we do through prayer, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus and says, Jesus, this is my desire, but your will be done. You are the real authority. Right? And again, Jesus tells him, that's where you messed up. Right? Is you didn't put the real authority in me. You, you took it on yourself. Right? Because faith is strengthened when the true authority is recognized. So we've seen, again, that the opposite of faith is not failure. The opposite of faith is not doubt. So what is the opposite of faith? We still have this lingering question. Well, so what we find the answer in these next verses that follow this story. Okay, Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. Mark 9 is picking up at verse 30. It says, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Again, this now is the second time that Jesus has told them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be arrested, I'm going to die on a cross, and I'm going to raise again. Okay, the first time he did that was back in chapter 8 when Peter calls Jesus out and be like, Jesus, you shouldn't do that. And that's when Jesus calls him Satan. Okay, now here, the second time, Jesus says to them again, hey, by the way, guys, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die, I'm going to, I'm going to rise again on the third day. Now this time though, they didn't, they, they didn't get it, they still didn't get it, but yet, what was their reaction? Why didn't they ask? Because they were afraid. Right? And that shows us what the true opposite of faith is. The opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of faith is fear. It's not doubt, it's not failure, it's fear. Again, we, even if we would look back to this story, even to the father, okay, this, it, he, he shows us that, right? Even through this, this father's experience with his son. Okay, because again, let's summarize this guy's experience. Okay, in verses 17, 18, and 22. It says, so one of, the, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And then the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Again, this, this father started with a strong faith. That's why he brought his son to Jesus in the first place. And yet through the experiences of the failure of the disciples and the argument and the drama and all of these things, his faith was shaken. Right to where this fear came out. Again, what was his fear? His fear was God's not powerful enough to heal it, to do it. God can't do it. This is something God can't do. Right? And that's exactly what he tells Jesus. He's like, help us if you can. Right? Again, then we see Jesus' response. Of course I can. 
Of course I can. What was he afraid of? He was afraid that Jesus' power wasn't strong enough. Right? Because through these experiences, right, his faith had been shaken. Fear is the opposite of faith. We see that from the Father, and we also see that from the disciples. And again, we see in the disciples, again, in verse 32, they didn't understand what he was saying. However, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Again, and that's exactly what fear does to us, is it paralyzes us. Right? Again, they, they knew what, what should they have done when they didn't understand. They should have asked Jesus, like, Jesus, we don't get it. But they were afraid. It paralyzed them. They didn't do anything because they were afraid. Right? But fear, what is fear? Fear is giving authority to something that doesn't deserve authority. Right? Because fear is get, telling, putting, having us put authority into something that might happen. Right? But yet, giving Jesus the authority, putting the authority to where God, the real authority to God is saying, like, no, it casts out all fear. In fact, that's exactly what God's word says. Right? Is God's perfect love casts out all fear. Because the opposite of faith is fear. Which brings us then to my final thought this morning. And that is what we give authority to in our life is deeply connected to our faith. So what fear do you have that is holding back your faith? What fear do you have that is holding back your faith? That's keeping you from moving forward in your journey. That's stopping you from doing what this father did, right? From doing what the disciples did, right? Of laying our failures, our doubts, our questions at the feet of Jesus and crying out to him in the most honest way we ever could. Saying, Jesus, I need you. You are the ultimate authority. What fear is holding you back? I hope today as we conclude our service that whatever fear is holding back your faith, that you will give it up to the Lord. Lay it at his feet. Confess it. Do exactly just cry out to him and tell him the truth. Because whether it's accepting him as your savior for the first time, right, casting out that fear, right, of like, I can't save myself, right, let Jesus do it. Release his power in your life. Right, or whatever other fear might be holding you back, give it to God. Cry out to him in the most honest way that you can. Yeah. Lord God, that's our heart today, Lord, that we know Lord, that you have ultimate authority because you conquered the grave. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you live this life Lord, came to earth as Messiah. God, and took our place to conquer the grave so we could be saved. And God, we recognize you as our ultimate authority today. And God, we ask that you would strengthen our faith. God, whether we have doubts, whether we have failures, unanswered questions, God, I pray that you will help us to be honest with you and pour them out at the foot of your cross. Because God, you conquered the grave. Lord, we praise you for that today. We thank you, God, for casting out every fear out of our minds and our hearts, Lord, with your perfect love. And I pray that you would continue to do that in our life. God, that we would not be paralyzed by fear. That, God, we would cry out to you and release your power. And, God, as we go this week, as we continue to prepare ourselves and our own hearts, Lord, for the Holy Week and celebrating the resurrection, God, continue to guide us, Lord, as we shine your light in this dark world. Lord, guide us as we go this week. God, to move forward in our faith and to shine your light, Lord, and to talk with those that need to know you. 
We thank you and love you. Guide us as we leave today in Jesus' name. Amen.